work, at home, or on the road, you deserve great coffee. A Heine Brothers coffee subscription plan gives you top quality organic and fair trade coffee delivered right to your door or office automatically. You select the frequency, the quantity, and the variety of coffee, and Heine Brothers will take care of the rest, shipping included. Also makes a great gift, so order online at HeineBrosCoffee.com. That's H-E-I-N-E-B-R-O-S-C-O-F-F-E-E.com forward slash subscription and use the offer code THEPAST for $5 off any gift subscription. Hello again, everybody. It's Mick Sullivan, and this is The Past and the Curious. As I promised, I wrote and produced another show within a week's time. I will probably never be able to do that again. But, uh, you know, the time was right, I guess. Uh, and I felt this was an important show to share at this time. Uh, and I had a lot of fun doing it, too. I was lucky when out of the blue, my friend Bridget Kalen happened to ask if she could read a story sometime soon. It's like, yeah, I'm finishing up an episode right now. Have I got a story for you? So it all fell into place very quickly. And by the way, Bridget is a really, really great musician and songwriter and all-around entertainer. Uh, I've known her for a really long time. So uh, thanks to Bridget for being a part of this episode. I also want to thank and dedicate this episode to anyone and everyone working in healthcare right now. It's April 2020, and there is a lot of hard work being done. You people are amazing, and we owe you an awful lot. So if you are a healthcare worker, thank you. If you are not, I bet you know one. So be sure to tell them thanks for all of their hard work. Okay, this is going to be a fun show. Let's get going. Ignace Semmelweis was a shy man. But when he truly believed something, he fought through the feelings that might have otherwise held back his voice. One of the few things that he was outspoken and confrontational about was the simple act of hand washing. He was certain it was necessary, but only after much observation. Getting other people to believe him was a different story. Born in Hungary, in the city known as Buda, which would one day join its neighboring city across the river to become Budapest, Semmelweis started law school, but he wound up becoming a doctor in the end. In 1847, just three years after earning his medical license, the methodical and intelligent fellow was given a notable position at a maternity ward in Vienna, Austria. His job was basically as the chief resident, which gave him a lot of responsibility and power over the staff. At his hospital, there were actually two maternity wards, which is where women go to give birth. The first ward was staffed by doctors called obstetricians, the other ward was staffed by midwives, trained health professionals whose main concern is caring for women during, before, and after the labor of childbirth. More on the difference later. When Simmelweis started, he noticed two things. One, all the women admitted for delivery wanted to go to the ward staffed by midwives. And two, 10% of the women who went to his ward, the obstetrician-staffed ward, died while they were there. Well, no wonder everyone wanted to go to the other ward, right? The unfortunate women died from a thing called childbed fever, which we now know to be caused by an infection. Women wanted to go with the midwives because, well, they weren't done living yet. And fair enough. But Ignace wanted to know why there was a difference in the fate of the patients in the two wards. And more importantly, 
how to solve it. So he made some methodical observations. First, he noted women gave birth in two different positions in the two different wards. So he had the doctors deliver babies the same way as the midwives. No difference. Same fevers, same tragic results. Then he noticed that when someone died, a priest walked through the halls ringing a bell in solemn honor of the women who passed. He thought maybe this played psychological tricks on the women in the ward. Perhaps they realized that someone had died and that they very well could be next. The suggestion alone might make someone get sick. Meanwhile, of course, no one died in the other ward, hence no bell ringing. So do you get his line of thinking? Well, he told the priest to go ring his bell somewhere else. Still, no difference. With his methodical mind, he tried everything he could think of. No luck of any sort, especially for the poor patients on the ward. Then one of the doctors got sick with symptoms similar to the women, and before long, he too died. At this time, medical doctors not only took care of living patients, but they spent time on cadavers, or dead bodies. It's kind of gross when you think about it, and it would certainly give me the willies, but what better way is there to learn about the human body than with a real, not live human body? It ain't pleasant, but it's the truth, and we've learned a lot as society in this way. Anyway, it turns out that this now-dead doctor had pricked his finger while working with a dead body. Now we know he got an infection and he died. 1850s Austria, like pretty much everywhere else in the world, didn't understand germs or bacteria or viruses or infections yet. There were still plenty of people who believed most diseases were brought on by miasma, which is bad air. In short, the idea was that you might smell something really bad and then get sick. It sounds crazy now, but you should understand that most diseases made a body smell bad, and if you were around some smelly sick person, you might get sick too. We know it's germs now, but all they had to go on was that sticky stink surrounding the sickie. Semmelweis knew there just had to be a connection between the dead bodies and the sickness. Unlike the midwives, who simply dealt with the pregnant women, many of the doctors spent time dissecting, analyzing, and learning from the cadavers which obviously meant touching them. Then they just hopped on over to the maternity ward when there was a baby to deliver. And they did not wash their hands. Or their tools. Crazy, right? By today's standards, yes, but 200 years ago, this was business as usual. The connection had not been made by science. The evidence was pretty clear to Semmelweis, so he made a new rule. Doctors must wash their hands in chlorine and their tools. And guess what happened? The number of deaths fell dramatically. In fact, in the obstetrician's ward, the survival rate was basically the same as the midwife's ward. So he went around telling everybody about it. Wash your hands. You're bringing gross stuff to a healthy body with your unclean tools and your unclean fingers. And instead of being excited and saying thank you, the doctors were like, <clears throat> you're telling me? I'm making my patient sick? Who do you think you are? I am a good doctor, and you know nothing, Semmelweis. Before long, he was ridiculed out of existence. It's too bad they didn't listen to him. Lives could have been saved with some simple hand washing. Just a few years later, there was a British nurse working in a war zone during the Crimean War who helped revolutionize medical cleanliness. Florence Nightingale paid attention to international science. She took her job seriously and was responsible for the lives of thousands of recuperating British soldiers. There's a chance she heard about Semmelweis' observations. 
there's also a good chance that she just figured it out on her own. Because when she implemented rules about washing hands and tools, the same thing started to happen. She saved lives. But still, there were plenty of detractors. The anti-hand washers, the dirty handers, the filthy fingered. You know nothing, Nightingale, they cried. But you see, these two did know what they were talking about. They might not have understood it on a microscopic level, but they could clearly see a relationship between dirty-handed doctors and sick or dying patients. The world was changing in the mid-1800s, and doctors were doubling as scientists, often to determine what was causing various illnesses. While the two were dealing with people in hospitals, there were others working to solve illnesses in public places, like big cities. At the same time Florence was saving lives on the war front, another British doctor was trying to save lives in London. There was a cholera outbreak, and a man named Jon Snow was going to solve it. You know nothing, Jon Snow, they told him. Dauntless, he was determined to help. Cholera, as we now know, is a bacterial infection, which hangs out in your stomach and causes lots of problems, mostly related to diarrhea. Diarrhea is no fun. But cholera diarrhea is really bad. People were dying. Again, one prevailing theory was the miasma theory. Bad smells equal bad sickness. But Jon Snow was not convinced. He believed that contaminated water was a factor in transmitting the diseases. And in 1850s London, no one had running water in their homes. No faucet and no toilet. If water was shared, there was a good chance that the disease could get in there. Go listen to episode 37, Sewer Water and Water Water, for more on that. Much like Semmelweis, he made an observation and tried to find relationships. The outbreak he was concerned with was centered in the Soho neighborhood, and most of the cases were close to Broad Street. A restaurant nearby had several customers get sick. Some families who lived nearby got sick too. Oddly, some kids who lived in another neighborhood also got sick. Lots and lots and lots of people got sick with cholera which was often fatal. At a nearby jail, however, the prisoners did not get sick. There was a lot to consider, but he discovered a connection. The restaurant used water from the public pump on Broad Street. The families who were sick also drew their water from the same pump. But what about those kids from another neighborhood? Well, it turns out that they stopped at this pump for a drink on their way to school. And what about the jail? No one was sick there. Well, they had their own well, which was a clean water supply. Jon Snow soon discovered that most who lived in the area, and who were not sick, got water from another source. He approached the authorities of town and convinced them to remove the pump handle on Broad Street. They did, and slowly, without a way to contract the disease, which was obviously related to the water, the sickness began to disappear from the community. Still, there were detractors. You know nothing, Jon Snow. And they set about to prove him wrong. One naysayer interviewed local residents and actually wound up proving John correct. As it so happened, the mother of a child who was sick from the disease had been washing out the dirty diapers in a cesspool. And the cesspool was mere feet away from the well on the Broad Street pump. And some of that poop wound up in the drinking water. No wonder everyone was sick. Gone were the cries of, you know nothing, Jon Snow. With a quiet, brooding confidence, he probably whispered something like, the well is dark and full of diapers. Then, if he had any dramatic sense, he would have put on a cape and muttered, and now my watch has ended. 
customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust? You need Shopify for retail. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lifestyle, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lifestyle to take your retail business to the next level today. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Well, how perfect is this? We got a You Have 30 Seconds segment about Florence Nightingale from Emily. So take it away, Emily. Hi, I'm Emily. I'm eight years old and from Buffalo, New York. I want to tell you about Florence Nightingale. She was born in the early 1800s. Back then, hospitals used to be dirty and crowded. Nurses didn't have any medical training, and many patients died because the nurses didn't help them. Florence decided to try and change this. She went to a hospital during a war and helped soldiers recover. After the war, she made a really great school to train nurses and influenced many hospitals around the world. We still use some of her methods today. Emily, thank you so much. That was really, really great. I learned about Florence Nightingale, or I learned more about her for this episode, but I still want to know more. I wonder if anybody's ever read a really great book about her that they could recommend. If you have, you should let us know. And if you have a You Have 30 Seconds segment, just like Emily did, and you think that you can do such a great job like she did, then you need to send it on our way. There's instructions on our website, thepastandthecurious.com. Super easy. Well, I need to go wash my hands, but... It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. Yes, here we are. It's quiz time. Question number one. George Washington died in 1799 at the age of 67. While he was sick in bed, what did his doctors remove from his body? Blood. It was a lot of blood. It was probably too much blood. George and his doctor both believed in bloodletting. In a sense, they thought that removing some of the blood would also flush out whatever it might be in his body that was making him sick. He was sick with a fever, lethargy, and a sore throat, but some historians believe that they took way too much of his blood out, and that actually led to, or at least brought on more quickly, his death. Question number two. Bloodletting is an ancient practice, and one that you might be surprised to learn was actually performed by someone other than a doctor. In Europe during the Middle Ages, who regularly performed these bloodlettings? What job did they do? The 
The practice has been traced all the way back to ancient Egypt, but throughout European Middle Ages, the practice was usually performed by barbers. This came to be because often priests were stand-in for doctors, but they were barred by the church from engaging in the practice. So the barber took it up. Guess theoretically they could give you a shave and a haircut and a bloodlet. In fact, the red stripe that you still see today on many barber's poles was actually a symbol for blood. Lastly, and this will be very easy, if you listen to the last episode, what was the name of the unpleasant pill that Lewis and Clark took with them on their journey? I know you know. Created by Dr. Benjamin Rush, who signed the Declaration of Independence, the super laxatives were officially called Dr. Rush's bilious pills, but the men called them, and let's say it all together, Dr. Rush's thunderclappers. Be grateful that you don't have to take one of those, everyone. If there was one person who should have washed her hands, it was Mary Mallon. She entered the history books in 1907, which was a full 60 years after poor Ignaz Semmelweis urged hand-washing. It may be hard to believe, but still, by this point, most people were not regularly washing hands. It's especially troubling in her case because she was a cook. As a young woman, Mary left her native Ireland aboard a ship chugging across the Atlantic Ocean and bound for New York City. She had some relatives whom she stayed with until she was able to get on her feet, and soon enough she lined up work cooking, first at some facilities and then for private families. But when one wealthy family she worked for started getting sick, a mystery began to unfold. This family rented a summer home on Oyster Bay, Long Island to escape the heat and disease that was regularly running rampant in nearby Manhattan. Their vacation wasn't the relaxing sort of vacation, though, because soon most members of the large family got sick with something called typhoid fever. That's a harsh bummer on a chill vacay. Typhoid is a bacterial infection that causes fever, headaches, cramps, constipation, and more. When someone contracts the disease, there are typically two scenarios— The person's immune system wins and kills the bacteria after a prolonged and unpleasant illness, or the bacteria wins and the person dies. It was unknown for someone to have the bacteria, but not get sick. This is called being a carrier, and guess what? Mary was a carrier. But it took a while to figure it out. The family brought in a man named Dr. George Soper to help solve the problem. Dr. Soper was a sanitation engineer. Today, we'd say he worked in public health, identifying disease outbreaks and working to stop them. This sounds familiar to some important jobs today in April 2020. Like Semmelweis, Soper was a methodical man. He investigated lots of possibilities. Originally, he thought there were some bad oysters that poisoned the family but only some of the sick people ate any oysters, not everyone. So that theory went out the window. Then he started investigating other scenarios. Most of them he crossed off the list as not being the cause of the typhoid outbreak. After learning about their cook, Mary, he dug into her history a bit. It seems that similar things had happened to seven other families that she cooked for. She took a job as a cook. People got sick. She moved on to a new place. 
It was like clockwork. She never understood why they got sick, but it usually meant there wasn't anyone to cook for after that, so she packed her bags and found another family's employment. One of Mary's specialties, by the way, was an ice cream dish topped with fresh peaches. Sounds like a delicious summertime treat. But these folks probably should have said no to the dessert. Anyway, after Soper uncovered her history of leaving a swath of sick eaters grabbing their stomachs in bed like fallen trees left behind a tornado's path, the likely cause became clear. He gulped a gulp and approached Mary in the kitchen. He explained he needed a blood and fecal sample from her in order to run some tests to see if she might be sick. Mary was not happy about this at all. She definitely didn't offer him any peach ice cream, which ultimately was for the better. Instead, she very loudly told him that if he knew it was good for him, he would turn around and walk back out the door. To put an exclamation point on her very strong feelings, she grabbed a long, sharp kitchen fork and thrust it in his general direction. He took the hint and left, but he was determined to get the samples he needed. Later, his colleague, Dr. Josephine Baker, came to Mary's door and made the same request, which Dr. Baker thought was most reasonable. Mary, understandably, did not agree with her. Dr. Baker expected this, and had brought some police officers with her to force Mary into an ambulance. Mary slammed the door and ran. The police chased after her, and after three hours of hide-and-seek, it seemed like Mary had foiled their plans. That was until someone noticed some fabric matching Mary's dress peeking out of a closed door. Some say it was the door to a closet. Some say it was an outhouse, which would have been very on brand for her, but we're not sure. Whatever it was, they got her out, and Dr. Baker sat on top of her to keep her from escaping as they took a horse-drawn ambulance to the hospital. Obviously, Mary had not agreed to any of this, and they had no court order or other official legal document. She wasn't being arrested exactly, but there was a belief that forcing Mary to be tested was a matter of public health. It was in the name of protecting other people. Who was right? It's a big question, and it's easy to see both sides. When the test results came back, Mary had tested positive for typhoid fever. This was strange and completely unbelievable to her, because as she had screamed at both of them multiple times, and probably with expletives, she was not sick. Soper believed he had discovered the first healthy carrier of the deadly disease, and if she was to walk the streets again without treatment, more people were likely to die, especially if she cooked for them. Most likely, here's what happened in those homes. Mary went to the restroom. Mary didn't wash her hands. Mary prepared food with typhoid bacteria on her hands that people ate with their mouths. Some of those people got sick. Pretty gross. Now, I know what you're saying, but Bridget, wouldn't the heat from the oven kill the bacteria before it ever touched a single tongue? And I'd say, well, yeah, if we're talking about the brisket or Cornish hens or whatever fancy oyster-based summer home dishes they were eating. But then I'd say, you remember that ice cream with fresh peaches she made that everyone loved to eat? Well, there was no cooking required for that. Just some cold ice cream and some room temperature peaches. 
and she probably got her bathroom germs all over those peaches. Peaches and cream? More like peaches and screams of stomach pain. So against her will, they quarantined her for years on an island called North Brother Island. Most of the patients there had tuberculosis, and Mary lived alone in a cottage away from those patients. The newspapers caught hold of the story, and she became known as Typhoid Mary, which is a term often used to describe carriers of any disease. It might be unfair to Mary Mallon, though, because it's not completely known if she truly understood what it meant to be a healthy carrier of a disease. Plus, there were several other carriers by this time who didn't get sent to an island in solitude like her. They offered to remove her gallbladder and let her go, thinking that was where the bacteria was living. She refused on the grounds that she was healthy, but also that an early 1900s surgery would leave her susceptible to infection and potentially take her life. She had a point there. But the second time they quarantined her, it was a bit more justified. After a few years, they agreed to let her go. She was trained with other professional skills and agreed to work those safer jobs. Most importantly, she agreed to never work as a cook again. But guess what? She worked as a cook again. At a maternity hospital in New York City, actually. While there, 25 people got sick and two people died. She broke the rules. In a heartbeat, Mary found herself back on North Brother Island and remained in quarantine for the rest of her life. She never showed any real symptoms of the disease. When she died in 1938, doctors found her gallbladder was teeming with typhoid bacteria. The story of so-called typhoid Mary is one that people still talk about today. It brings up questions of how to handle and treat people who are not exhibiting symptoms but are carriers especially when they are unwilling or maybe even don't understand how easy it can be to infect other people. Many of the deaths could have been avoided if she had simply washed her hands. But that was not something the federal government promoted as a health measure until the 1980s in America. So thanks anyway to Dr. Semmelweis. Too bad people weren't ready to hear your advice. The good news is that a preventative typhoid vaccine was created by scientists in the early 1900s, and by the 1930s, there were antibiotics that people who had contracted the disease could take to fight the bacteria. The disease still exists, but it is very well under control, and it is not anything we need to worry about. But just the same, you might want to go wash your hands. And not just if you're making peaches and cream. Thanks, Bridget, and thank you for listening. I've got some messages for you, uh, but before I do the message, uh, I do want to give a Patreon shout-out to some new supporters. Uh, first off, there were a couple that signed up, and I think they're the parents' names on there, and I haven't heard back yet, so I'm going to wait because I bet you want the kid's name on the show. So if that's you, look for an email. If that's not you, that means you're probably one of the Rutkowski brothers, which would be Michael and Dominic. Michael What's going on, Dominic. guys? Rutkowski. Thank you, Michael and Dominic. Michael and you guys are awesome. I was really excited to read about all your favorite episodes and uh, look in the mail soon. I'm w- still waiting for stamps, everybody, uh, to get your magazines out. They're coming. Okay, everybody. I love you all. I hope you're well. And I want you to know how important this show is to me. It makes me really, really happy to make it. And I'm really glad it makes you happy to listen. It's important for us to find things that make us happy. And if you're listening in the spring of 2020, let's all hang in there. 
Let's all be kind and patient and forgiving and look on the bright side when we can. There's a lot of good in the world, and I know that you're part of it. If you're listening in the future, well, congratulations! Remember how strange 2020 was? Glad that's behind us, huh? Anyway, I'm really grateful for and proud of the great governor that we have in my home state of Kentucky right now. He says something before his press conference, which he holds every night at 5 p.m., and he asks people to repeat after him. Then he says, we will get through this, and we will get through this together. It always moves me, uh, usually to tears because I have a hair trigger, uh, but it's important to hear, so I really want to echo that. Um, And last but not least, I want to take a moment to thank all of the teachers out there as well. You all are amazing, and I'm certain that these kids will never forget you and this remarkable year. You've handled it well, and you are making a huge difference. Parents, I'm with you. We will get through this, and we will get through this together. Thanks, everybody.